Hello and welcome to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, but this is not just another edition, it is USFL season. Don't worry everyone, still going to have our usual Tuesday, Thursday pods with Dre McFarlane, we'll have our stream on Wednesday. I am not fully committing myself to the USFL, we will be having at least one this week, in future weeks probably two USFL Center podcasts. If you aren't a fan of the league, you don't have to listen to them, I'm not telling you you need to, but at the same time, give it a chance. I am so tired of some of the hatred we've gotten over the years in the XFL and AAF streets because most of it is just nonsensical. They go, hey, this is not as good as college football or the NFL. And guess what? They are right by saying that. But guess what doesn't happen in the spring? The NFL or college football. So we are comparing the USFL on Sundays. It's a four-game slate weekly against baseball, basketball, golf, all these beta sports that I don't want anything to do with. So we are going to be fully attacking the USFL over here at PFF. Grades, data, content, you name it, we will have it. And we have some fantastic guests here around the industry to help us accomplish this goal. None better than the man I have on today to help us really break through into this league. If you guys have been following him on Twitter at CMain7, Cody Main himself established the run's finest. My God, man. You know, I, I like to think of myself as a grinder with some of these spring leagues. I truly enjoy the AF XFL. I love football, but Cody, man, you've been on this game for weeks. I am so excited to talk to you about this league, man. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks so much for having me on. I cannot imagine not being excited about this league. This is going to be a good time. The hype is starting to build. We are officially in week one. It is Monday of week one. We will have games this weekend kicking off with a showdown on Saturday. I am very, very, very excited about this league and more than willing to give it a chance, mainly because I love football, but also because we'll have DFS. We got to talk about DFS, baby. Exactly. And that we will. Um, you know, a lot of times if you follow me on Twitter, I tweet complete bullshit. And a good sign of that is if I put per sources in front of it. I have no sources, everyone. So if you ever see me say sources, I am completely lying. But I said that, you know, in Birmingham, which is where all these games are going to happen. I was like electric atmosphere. You know, you can't even walk out on the street without seeing uh, people, you know, hyped up about uh, the USFL. And then Jim Nagy, director of the Senior Bowl, decides to respond and says, can confirm. So maybe there actually is hype going on in Birmingham, Cody. I'm going to believe there is. I do know there's plenty of hype here in these DFS streets. So on this pod, we are going to go through just the overall league at first and then through each and every team, finish things off with some week one predictions. So starting off, Cody, we have eight teams. In the north, the New Jersey Generals, the Michigan Panthers, the Philadelphia Stars, and the Pittsburgh Maulers. In the south, the Birmingham Stallions, the Houston Gamblers, New Orleans Breakers, and Tampa Bay Bandits. The teams, about 15 minutes before we started recording, sent out their mascots, and they were asking for help naming them. My best name was for the Birmingham Stallions. It should be Sylvester Stallion. Like, that's genius. Great job by me. And for Houston Gamblers, I said Calvin Ridley. That one's probably not going to make the cut, uh, (laughs) but you could imagine it. Uh, It's going to be a 10-week regular season with the two top teams in each division making a four-team playoffs. Again, all these games will be played in Birmingham throughout the year before the playoffs, and they will go to Canton, Ohio, the birthplace of football several new rules on display as well the extra points they basically took a page out of the xfl playbook you can go for one two or three points after the touchdown extra point you know typical kick from the 15 yard line two point conversion from the two yard line three point try from the 10 onside kicks you can do your traditional you know kicking the ball 
on the onside, or you can actually attempt a fourth and 12 from the 33 yard line. Another kind of page out of the XFL book. Clock stoppages are like college football, where the clock will stop following a first down during the final two minutes of the second and fourth quarters. Hopefully, get some of that sweet, sweet scoring. And for overtime, it's going to be a best of three format where each offense gets a chance to score from their opponent's two yard line. If they're still tied after three attempts, they will go into a sudden death style. You know, first team to win just one of their matches goes ahead and takes it away. Cody, am I missing anything? And then if not, you know, what are kind of your general takeaways for some of these unique rules and just, you know, the overall um, just eight team format? Yeah, you nailed it with the rules. And we saw some of these things attempted in the XFL and executed at varying levels of success. They tried the three point try thing, except they completely removed the extra point. Uh, mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, you had to you had a one point option from the two, a two point option from the five and then a three point option from the 10 yard line. Correct. And if if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it was hardly utilized uh, much at all. And I'm Everyone kind of kept going for one. It was like, yeah. Come on, right. guys. What are we doing? What are we doing in a league that that at least the the format is trying to incentivize scoring, trying to make things more exciting for a fan base that isn't necessarily as excited as they are for NFL and college football. And we have these coaches out there just doing brain dead stuff going for one every time. So starting there, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of, of two and three point attempts in this league, knowing some of the coaching staffs that I do ha having done my research. Now, I think that that will be a little bit uh, more of a talking point than it will actually be utilized. Uh, and then the on onside kick alternative, which I think is another fun concept where you get the option to convert a fourth and fourth and 12th play from the 33 yard line. If you convert, you keep possession of the ball. If you don't, the team gets it where you're down. I love that rule, but I just don't think it's going to be utilized by any of these teams. Like I can't imagine any of these, these boomer coaches going out there, maybe a few, which we'll talk about, but like going out there and, and deciding to go for a fourth and 12, despite the league incentivizing it and, and hoping that these coaches will do some of this stuff. So yeah, fun stuff. I'm more excited about some of the things that they're doing to try and engage fans and make it more fun for the fans. Uh, a couple of things that they just announced whether it was yesterday or today, but the first down measurements will be with a chip in the ball. So yes, finally, very cool. it's it a, sounds it like, like um, it's like tennis, right? Like exactly. Just, they basically show the replay. Like, yeah, thank you. This should have been done exactly. 20 years ago. <laughs> so, so maybe we're still going to have 70 year old dudes running around with chains like <laughs> as a precaution. But at least we'll have a chip in the ball. We'll get accurate first down measurements and things like that. That'll be fun. And then they're doing some cool stuff like they did with the XFL. I don't know if we'll get player interviews on the sidelines because we had a couple uh, F-bombs dropped there but they are doing camera access like a, a sky view camera access and they'll have a helmet cam too, which cut-ins during the broadcast should make things pretty fun. Overall though, like we both made the joke on Twitter uh, when lines were first released that like overall, I think scoring is going to be down. We've seen it in previous versions of this league in the AAF in the XFL sports books. Uh, if they'll let you get down action, they expect these games at least initially to be extremely high scoring, probably because some of the rule changes, but it just doesn't come to fruition. And we saw that happen with the, the lines that they released for week one, at least initially. And I think those have the since come down, but we were seeing numbers in the fifties, 55, 55 and a half. I'm just thinking, did the books do their research on who is going to be playing quarterback and who is going to be calling plays in any of these games? Because man, I would have had these totals pegged closer to 40, 45 than 50, 55. And that's the thing, man. Like, okay, so I think it was Fox Bet was the one that initially released the lines. I did see some people saying like the max bet on those was only twenty or twenty five. <laughs> exactly. But I would like to think closer to Saturday and Sunday will actually, you know, 
I'm, I'm sure you can't throw thousands on it, but I would hope we can get a little bit more than 25 in there. But to your point, man, even the drop-offs, I think, are still too high. Like, it was the mid-50s for all these games, and even the kind of uh, shrinking down closer, I think, to actual kickoff. We're still seeing them in the high 40s. In the AAF in week one, uh, there was an average of 38.25 points per game. XFL week one was only a little bit higher at 38.5. By week five of the XFL, the opening betting lines for the game totals were 45 and a half, 37, 39, and 40.5. <laughs> it was even worse in the AAF, man. Yeah, yeah, if there is anything that we can take away right now, it's to pound those unders. Anything, like, honestly, it's like 45, 46, man, I will keep taking that under. So when I when I posted that tweet, I got a bunch of messages, a bunch of DMs in Slack, in, in Discord. What, should, we, should we bet these unders? I'm like, blind betting these unders seems plus EV at this point. So yep. yeah, 55 and a half. Like, like that's Mahomes, Josh Allen level, 55 and a half. The, the thing about these offenses too, and we'll learn more, of course, week one, we're kind of going into this thing blind. But the thing about these offenses and, and speaking in general for everyone, the draft was just two months ago. These teams haven't even been in camp for, you know, 30 days by the time. They started training days. camp. Training camp was two weeks ago. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's going to be sloppy. And will we see some miraculous plays? Will there be scoring? Sure. But I'm just saying, like, set your expectations low, especially from the jump. These teams have not been together very long. I don't know how you install an entire offensive playbook with guys that haven't played together before in the most cases in two weeks, three weeks. So it, it's going to be ugly at first. I hope people will give it a chance. But uh First, first general takeaway from the league is is scoring is probably going to be down at the jump. I couldn't agree more. And look, everyone, these are general takeaways. I do like to think Cody and myself are in, you know, the top 1% of USFL knowledge <laughs> worldwide at this point. But even then, like we're going to be so quick to change a lot of a lot of what, you know, we're thinking right now yes. after we see actual football being played. So anyone that has, you know, tried to undertake the USFL grind, Cody and I were talking about this, you know, before the podcast started, we are just completely depleted of a lot of information. We haven't had beat writers out there giving us reports on practice. All these teams scrimmage last week and we got like one play each shown on you know twitter highlights and they were more so just trying to show off i think some of the new rules and technology that we were talking about and even like some you know um rj was uh, doing the coaching interviews for like fox sports and stuff even then like we're just getting kind of a lot of coach speak that i wouldn't be shocked <laughs> if and then just kind of throwing us off the scent uh by the end of everything so no we are not pretending to be you know complete experts at this point in time but we're going to keep working use all the information we have change our opinions accordingly uh back when i used to play football one of my coaches made the point where he said if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make a mistake, you might as well do it full speed. Not so sure that's a, a great thing for every part of life, but I think for this in particular, uh, it is gonna be our strategy. So with that in mind, Cody, let's start going through these teams. I think we, you know, just hearing you talk, I think we kind of have similar approaches for what we can do right now to get the best feel on these guys. And to me, that was really looking at each team's play caller, head coach, and their quarterback. I mean, we can go through the projected skill position players a little bit, and we will just in terms of trying to get those depth charts figured out. But man, like if we looked at this three weeks ago, I think a objective, smart person will conclude that Eli Rogers and Devion Smith were fantastic options. They both got cut. So like, we really don't know. Uh, the main thing I tried to do with the skill position depth charts was I went through the draft and just, you know, ranked them as who got picked first, because at the end of the day, that's the guy that got picked first. We have draft capital and that is basically it uh, with these guys. So, you know, when I show my projected depth charts, it's just by draft capital. And then, you know, someone that was picked and, you know, the fifth round, the regular draft goes ahead of someone that was picked in the 
second round of their supplemental draft. And we have also already had some free agent signings as well. So similar process with you, Cody. Like, let's try to figure out kind of the offensive scheme and mind and the quarterback. Obviously, we'll be quick to, you know, change things once we have any idea what's going on with the defense and the O-line and all that. But right now, it's pretty tough to have a grip on any of those things. Yeah, of course. And we're going to have a full menu of content at Establish the Run that's got player projections, ownership projections. We'll do a top plays article and we will have a live show. But my goal for week one and for all of our subscribers is to not make too many mistakes. I don't think we're going to have anything remotely close to accurate. And hopefully we're just slightly better than than the rest of the people out there that haven't been putting in as much work as we have. But we do have previews up on the site right now. And and what you went through for for explaining your process was basically mine as well. Going through each team's coaching staffs and deciding how they called plays at previous levels of football. We've got the Tampa Bay bandits up now. So you can think what was Todd Haley's coaching coaching tendencies like at Pittsburgh or at Kansas city or with the Browns. And how can we apply that to the USFL knowing how these rule changes are and how spring football plays a little bit differently. And then second, secondarily, we know obviously quarterbacks, most position, most important position on the field, what can the quarterbacks do? Are we going to have any good quarterback play? Will we have guys that separate like we think maybe Jordan Tamu does with the bandits? So starting there and then, yeah, you can try and sprinkle in some some um, micro level thoughts on player uh, target shares and rushing shares. But like I said, the goal is just to not make too many big mistakes for week one. Once we have actual data to apply to projections in week two, we hope to get a little bit more accurate. And obviously using a lot of the stuff that you guys do over at PFF with grades and snaps and routes and things like that will be a huge, huge help to anyone that is uh, trying to play DFS or, or make bets or props if those are available. Um, but right now, again, to reiterate, just try not to make too many mistakes. Amen to that. And with that said, let's go ahead and get into these teams. Uh, we're going to order of my, you know, subjectively objective, whenever, how the hell you want to say it, uh, power <laughs> rankings for this group. Uh, you know, Cody, originally I had them listed just in terms of their championship odds. Uh, yeah, I'm fading the Michigan Panthers oh, as baby. a top team, though, in the league, though. Miss me with that BS. I do believe the Tampa Bay Bandits at plus 450 are, you know, the class of the league right now. We'll see what happens with that. But I think with the quarterbacks, man, to me, like there's a pretty big drop off after the first three or four guys, uh, maybe even less than that. But to your point, we do have Jordan uh, Tiamu, who previously was known as that guy where everyone talked about, like, how could an Ole Miss offense with DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Dawson Knox not put up bigger numbers? Well, it was because of Jordan Tiamu. However, he has improved past then, you know, most notably did get to work as Lamar Jackson on the Chiefs scout team and then went in the XFL and was really their second best quarterback behind only P.J. Walker. He will be working under head coach Todd Haley, uh, as you brought up, former with the Chiefs, Steelers, most recently the Browns. Uh, I'm more inclined to fade that last Browns tenure uh, yes. just in terms of Hugh Jackson. You know, I always talk about like we're always – Everyone's fine dismissing Hugh Jackson, except when it comes to pigeonholing Duke Johnson as a scat back. So I'm going <laughs> to continue to uh, stick by my morals there. Look, I don't think Haley's necessarily dealing with Big Ben or Antonio Brown anymore. But with that said, man, he was out there. You know, Steelers from 2012 to 2017 ranked 11th in situation neutral pass play rate. I think Haley, even though he's been removed from the game a little bit, I think he was just coaching at the high school level in 2020. To me, man, Todd Haley and Jordan Tiamu might be the single best head coach quarterback com uh, combination we have when trying to project an upside passing game. I think this is by far going into week one, the best quarterback coach tandem in the league. And I think it we, we run into a similar situation that we had with the Houston Roughnecks uh, with PJ Walker, where he just completely separated from the field. And that included Tiamu. Uh, in that league, as you mentioned, 
Philip Walker or PJ Walker was the highest scoring quarterback in four or five weeks that the XFL played in the only week that he wasn't, it was because Jordan Tamman went nuts and did things with his legs, did things through the air. And I think we're going to see the same thing here. Uh, you mentioned it like the old miss looking back, the old miss stuff just seems crazy, but he had a little bit of a resurgence in the XFL and, and was truly uh, remarkable just in terms of, of his completion rate, touchdown rate, everything looked phenomenal for him. And I think that's going to carry over here. I think just speaking again, generally, I think that this league is a little bit of a step down in competition from the XFL. You'll see a lot of names carry over, um, but I do think that generally the the XFL is a little bit more talented league. So I think he's going to be facing uh, potentially softer defenses as well. But just off the jump, man, I agree with you with your power rankings. I think this is the number one team in the league and this passing offense, I think, is going to be a force to be reckoned with. The one thing, and look, the floor for these quarterbacks is so bad. I think, you know, even removing what I'm about to say, we can have confidence in Tiamu, at least as the most fantasy-friendly quarterback in the league. Mm -hmm. But as someone that sadly watched each and every single one of those XFL, you know, I don't need to say sadly. I'm, I'm, I, I embrace who I am. As someone that happily watched all of Jordan Tiamu's games, it was a gimmicky offense, man. I mean, the St. Louis Battlehawks, they had easily the most RPOs in the league. They were the most run-heavy offense in the league, you know, 23% play action rate. So. Tiamu, I mean, it was a Garoppolo as 6.4-yard 6, 6 average target. Depth. He was not – like, his highlights compared to P.J. Walker, not even in the same stratosphere. So, I would say, uh, you know, I think maybe his stats were a little bit inflated and it was, you know, a fantasy-friendly offense. But, hey, he executed it, man. And I, I, I've talked about this a lot, you know, looking at the quarterbacks for this upcoming draft class. But I want to be careful about penalizing someone for doing great in their system and just maybe not do, being asked to, like, be a pro-style quarterback and stuff. So, like, is Matt Corral, like, a worse prospect than Desmond Ritter because he wasn't even asked to do the pro style stuff that Ritter did at a pretty decent level I don't know but I want to be careful about just only holding that against the guy for not doing it because maybe he can do it when asked to so Jordan Tiamu obviously looking like the best fantasy quarterback right now we have to Kyle Sloter maybe the best real life quarterback in a minute now the big thing with this depth chart as things stand right now, and, you know, we can still see some releases and stuff before week one, but Tampa Bay, one of just two teams with only two running backs at the moment, and the one of only three teams with just two tight ends. So looking at this group, man, BJ Emmons to me is arguably the number one fantasy running back we should be going after because, again, there's only two running backs in this offense, and their second running back, Jawan Washington, is just five foot six, 190 pounds. Emmons has a 215 on him. So I don't know if we're looking at prime Le'Veon Bell here, but, man, just based on week one opportunity, BJ Emmons, I think, should be at the top of this position. And again, how much of this stuff from the NFL is going to carry over to the USFL for Haley? Because we we knew with Le'Veon Bell that he wanted to pound one running back as much as he could. Obviously, different talent level between Le'Veon Bell <laughs> and BJ Emmons. But BJ Emmons is a former four-star recruit. He did play at Alabama, and then he had a bunch of lower body injuries that forced him down to lower levels. Um, signed with the Raiders as a UDFA. As you mentioned, man, he's a big six foot, 220 pounds, and I think he's got feature back upside. As we'll get into it with these teams when we're thinking about fantasy for week one and trying not to make as many mistakes with only two running backs available, the other guy being 5'6", 190, I think we can pretty confidently say, and being confident in this offense, at least going into week one, I think we can pretty confidently say that B.J. Emmons is among that top tier of running backs. 
100%. I hope he does get that three down roll, man. It was Le'Veon, but remember, like, Le'Veon got suspended. D'Angelo Williams right. stepped in. He took every snap. Week 17, like, Stephon Ridley was out there playing every snap. Hopefully, Evans can be that guy in the USFL. Now, the wide receivers and tight ends, I, I, I think this is where we're doing the most guesswork here. You know, yes. with the running backs, I think we can kind of look through the size, you know, if they have the pass down ability, but the wide receivers and stuff are going to be a little bit more difficult. Based on draft position, we would think the big three are going to be Derek Willies, Derek Dylan and Jordan Lastly at tight end, we have Cheyenne O'Grady. Sorry for the name, man. And Daquan <laughs> Hampton. Uh, they're actually pretty interesting because, again, we only have the two tight ends here. And O'Grady actually had 87 catches, 967 yards, 12 touchdowns career at Arkansas. Hampton is someone that was listed in college as a wide receiver. So we could have some, uh, you know, allure, allure towards that. Cody, I haven't, have, have you seen like what the actual DraftKings position? Do we have to actually roster a tight end? Yeah, everyone lean in really closely because I have some inside information. Uh, if you guys remember playing XFL DFS, it was one quarterback, one running back, two wide receivers slash tight ends, two flex, and one DST. So we do not have to roster a tight end. Fuck will- tight ends then. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> some of these guys will be interesting, but I think, and, and uh, we'll have a column coming out because DraftKings will be releasing contests soon. Uh, we'll have a column coming out just how to attack the the DraftKings position of requirements that are a little bit different with the XFL and USFL. Um, but no, we do not have to roster a tight end. And the one running back thing, as we get through these teams and, and talking a little bit about BJ Emmons too, it'll be interesting because there aren't too many uh, opportunities to attack. So only having to roster one is extremely exciting. Uh, obviously, BJ Emmons makes a little sense. Getting to these wide receivers slash tight ends, man, it is tough. And just to take everyone at least uh, a peek behind the curtain into my week one process for trying to project target shares, a lot of it, like you mentioned, is going to be based off of draft capital. You would think, uh, and if you guys read anything about how the draft went, a lot of these quarterbacks, in fact, most of them, almost all of them were sitting alongside their coaches as they were drafting. So you would think if Jordan Tiamu was sitting next to Todd Haley, he's drafting wide receivers that he knows of, is familiar with, likes, whatever the case may be. Um, So that's that's a big part of my process is looking through draft capital like you did and ranking the t- ranking the the receivers just in order of when they were drafted and then second i'm looking at how capable they were of earning targets at different levels of football so did they were they uh, obviously most of them all of them probably played in college did they play in the nfl preseason did they play in the spring league did they play in aaf did they play in the xfl do they have any connection with tayamu as some of these guys on this team do and, and then from there i'm trying to make, make kind of just ranking Uh, of how I project these wide receiver target shares to break down. Starting at the top of this depth chart, I do think now with Eli Rogers removed, Derek Willies having the highest draft capital and showing at various forms of football that he was a a target earner, uh, a big dude. um, And he was capable of earning targets through NFL preseason competition, had a 20% targets per route run rate in preseason action, six foot four, 207 pounds, a massive, massive dude. I think this is a guy in an offense that we think is going to be pass heavy, can profile as a number one wide receiver. So starting there, Derek Willis, totally excited about him week one in my Tamu stacks. Where did I put? I've got some way too early rankings going on. I got Willie's wide receiver three. Overall. Love it. Let's go. Love that. Let's, Let's go. Behind it. And that, I, you know, bringing up just his size, that was another thing I just tried to use a little bit because, like, some of these teams, like, we're talking about legitimate, like, 160 pound oh, wide receivers sure. being at the top. So I think you can kind of do some guesswork uh, to see who is going to be there in the slot and everything. So that basically wraps up the bandits of, you know, again, they are my number one ranked team. Cody sounds like you are on the same page there. 
head coach quarterback combo just seems great and that willingness with Haley to seemingly embrace a pass heavy offense hopefully we get some great running back uh, production and usage from Emmons as well number two I got the New Orleans Breakers plus 550 to win the championship. They are led by head coach Larry Fedora and offensive coordinator Noel Mazzone. Basically, Fedora was the Baylor offensive coordinator and QB coach in 2020. Before that, I believe at North Carolina. Uh, went pretty terribly in 2020. Uh, get used to that. These guys are coaching in the USFL, <laughs> not really because they've had much better chances elsewhere. Uh, same thing with Mazzone. You know, offensive assistant at UConn in 2021, but he was with Kevin Sumlin at Arizona from 2018 to 2020. Those Wildcats offense is ranked 43rd, 77th, and 119th in scoring. Uh, not great. Um, again, though, this is just a projection going from college to the USFL. They very well could still be bright minds, you know, in this league. So any major takeaways with these coaches, Cody? I'm not, you know, I, I think it's better than some other teams that we'll get to that really seem like they have two guys that want to establish the old run. At a minimum, I think, you know, coming from Baylor and Arizona, hopefully we can just anticipate a spread-heavy attack. Yeah, so this is where it gets interesting, and we're trying to translate how these coaching staffs worked in previous versions of football and how it's going to apply to the USFL. Um, when I initially looked at Fedora's offense, I thought, man, this is pretty neutral in terms of pass run rate, but then you apply it to what college football was and what the college football pass rates are, then he looks like he's a pretty pass-heavy coach. He dropped back at a 53.2% clip while games were within one score um, in his time at, at North Carolina, and compare that to a 46.9% pass rate from all college teams. It looks like he's pretty pass-heavy relative to the competition he's playing against. So I have my hopes that this will be another pass-heavy offense because we'll get to some that are not pass-heavy by any <laughs> means. So I am expecting Fedora to run a pass-heavy offense, and the other thing is he had an interesting quote on that RJ Young podcast that you referenced when he was on there that he mentioned he didn't know how to get in a huddle because he played so much <laughs> no huddle, so much up tempo with pace that he didn't know how to run a huddle. So he had to lean on uh, Noel Mazzone uh, to, to figure out how to formulate a huddle. So I think we're going to see a lot of no huddle, a lot of pace with this offense, and hopefully at least 50-50 pass run. We can't, we can't have another one of these coaches be 60-40 run pass. So I am pretty excited about this offense and do agree with your ranking uh, them as the number two team in this, in this league. Main reason for that is going to be their quarterback, Kyle Sloter. I despise that he wears a glove only on his throwing hand. Like, if you're going to do it, just put <laughs> two on, you know, go, go to Teddy, um, go to Teddy Bridgewater route already. But you do look at what he's done, man. And against actual NFL competition, he is the most accomplished quarterback of this group. Yes, it's preseason, but we don't have anything better. And I would rather see the guy put up good numbers in the preseason compared to arguably being the worst quarterback that we've seen in the preseason, which <laughs> does apply to two of these starters in Clayton Thorson and Alex uh, McCoo. So Kyle Sloter, man, I was, you know, PFF, we have some fantastic preseason uh, data and stuff. And some of the stuff with him was just absolutely bonkers. Like, you know, it's like that uh, kind of meme showing all the soldiers, you know, around the corner and they got the one clown in the group that's Kyle Sloter because <laughs> if you look at what he did with the Broncos in the 2017 preseason only Patrick Mahomes Philip Rivers Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson had a better <laughs> PFF passing grade like it, it's just insane how good he was man 9.6 yards per attempt 78 percent just completion rate and then he goes to the Vikings and he has an eight touchdown to one interception uh TD to INT ratio uh, from 2018 to 2019 so he's been good enough to bounce around various NFL practice squads we're not getting much of a rushing floor 
uh, one fun fact I found on Google was he allegedly ran like a 4.6540 in someone oh, else's wow. sneakers at some <laughs> point. But in the preseason career, we've only seen 47 rushing yards and a touchdown. So, Cody, for me, in real life rankings, I would put Kyle Sloter number one right now based on some of that preseason excellence we've seen. I still think uh, Tiamu with that rushing upside, maybe better offense, probably gets the fantasy uh, nod. But Kyle Sloter, man, I think, you know, in a league where we don't have many quarterbacks that have ever played at a high level of football at the professional level, at least Kyle Sloter has done that. Yeah, and I think back to some of these traditional pocket passers in the NFL who can support multiple wide receivers and can support big, big wide receiver production for fantasy, but are guys that we rarely look to roster just because they don't have that rushing upside. And now we've got all these Konami code quarterbacks that do have the rushing upside and can throw. But Sloter is going to be one of those who I think is a traditional pocket passer with Fedora and Mazone. I think he's going to run a pass-heavy system. I think the, the wide receivers here in New Orleans, and we're going to have to figure out, we're going to try and parse through the information and figure out which one we want to roster. But I think Sloter is going to be able to support multiple of these guys, even going back prior to the preseason. And we'll look at some of these quarterbacks who played collegiately. The numbers weren't good for them collegiately either. So looking looking at uh, Sloter out of North Colorado, at least had a 62.3% completion rate, which is really good for some of the quarterbacks in this league. 29 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Uh, again, signed as a 2017 UDFA. The fact that he could stick around practice squads, as you mentioned, as long as he did, is a pretty good sign that NFL coaching staff saw something in him. And then to ball out like he did in the preseason, I would liken the preseason competition that he faced to the competition that he's going to face in the USFL. So if he can complete 72, 74% of his passes over a pretty good sample in the, in the NFL preseason, I think we've got to feel pretty good about his ability to complete passes here. Backed up by Zach Smith. It's a pretty just, you know, I said it was a centered uh, skill position room just because I was trying to, we talked about the bandits only having two running backs and two tight ends. We see a couple teams like that, that have kind of a funky, um, you know, just overall depth chart. It does seem to be fairly normal here in New Orleans. Running back room, Larry Rose, Jordan Ellis, and TJ Logan. Wide receiver group is led by Sean Poindexter. Johnny Dixon, Ohio State, Ohio State, great. Jonathan Adams, Tywan Taylor from the Titans, and Chad Williams, three tight ends that, you know, again, unless we have something particular to say about these tight ends, I think we'll more or less be dismissing them uh, for the rest of this pod. What stands out to you in this running back room, Cody? To me, it kind of seems like uh, it's going to be a committee because we have Larry Rose, you know, very familiar it, anyone that's been, you know, in these developmental league uh, DFS war rooms over the years, he was the first pick. We'd like to think that he's going to be plenty involved, but Jordan Ellis is the one that actually has the 220 pounds on him. Maybe he's going to be the way down grinder. And we have TJ Logan who has the history with Fedora at North Carolina. This seems to be screaming three back committee. That was the most interesting thing to me as uh, as looking through this, I got pretty excited about the Logan Fedora connection, but it does appear to be a three back committee as it stands right now. Um, Fedora in his time at North Carolina never gave a lead back more than 53.5% of the backfield rushing attempts. So it does seem like having three of them on the field and three of them that appear to be pretty evenly talented and capable of handling the workload. I don't think we're going to see one of these guys totally split from the group. So for me, knowing that this is a pass heavy offense, although I expect it to be pretty efficient and, and score plenty of points, I think that this backfield is for the most part until we learn otherwise a stay away. 
that was the most frustrating part about some of these, like looking at some of these coaches who were bad, you know, bad in their ending a collegiate career. And then you look at like the individual stats and it's like, not only were you bad, but you couldn't just feature a player or two and get them <laughs> some numbers. Like I think it was like Skip Holtz. He hasn't had a 2000 yard passer, a thousand yard rusher, even like a 650 yard receiver in the last three years. Like, come on, man, put up some numbers somewhere <laughs> uh, at some point. But yeah, we are expecting uh, some passing goodness out of this offense to me, man, Sean Poindexter, six foot five, 225 pounds. I mean, he's someone we can get excited about. I know all of fantasy Twitter, was having this you know big talk about contested catches and stuff and we can talk about that more and uh you know the nfl side of things but i don't know man i'll take bigger is better in a league full of yeah. you know cast offs and stuff like that so poindexter you know was someone that scored 11 touchdowns with mazone at arizona to me i'm expecting him and johnny dixon on the outside probably with taiwan taylor in the slot is that kind of how you see things going I, I think so. This is one of the most talented wide receiver rooms in the league. I think, as you mentioned, Poindexter off the top. When I saw Taiwan Taylor was drafted fourth with like legitimate NFL experience, not just yeah. preseason experience. This dude was a legitimate NFL <laughs> wide receiver for I a while. I think he started there. for two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I thought initially that, hey, this is going to be automatic. Taiwan Taylor in the slot, Sean Poindexter outside, and then Johnny, Johnny Dixon opposite him. Now I'm wondering because these guys seem pretty high on uh, Chad Williams and Jonathan Adams. So just a quick note here on Jonathan Adams, because he's probably the one people are least familiar with. Uh, Blake Anderson, who was the OC for uh, Fedora at UNC, coached Adams in college at Arkansas State. He's six foot two, 210 pounds, went 79, 1100 yards, 12 TDs in his senior season. And Anderson raved so much about this guy. That he was he he basically forced Fedora to move him up his draft board, um, so you know you kind of have to take these things with a, a little bit of a grain of salt, right? Uh, you kind of have to go based off of previous production and things like that. But he's got the profile, he's got the size, he's got the connection with the guy that uh, that Fedora obviously trusts, his former OC. So I think there could be a little bit of a rotation here. Uh, I think we could see all four or five wide receivers play quite a bit. Uh, and that goes back to that point. We think Slaughter can support a couple of these guys. We just need one of them to separate a little bit. We don't need them to be a 24, 25% target share type of guy. Um, but if we can get, you know, 18, 19, 20% with a positive pass rate over expectation, plus a guy that's going to complete a lot of passes, some of these, some of these wide receivers in this offense are going to do really well, I think. And that's going to be, uh, you know, the big thing to really look at. And when we get those week one snaps and routes, uh, mm -hmm. something that my usual co-host Dwayne McFarlane always talks about is just how tough it is for wide receivers with a sub 75% route participation rate to put up big numbers because they're just not on the field enough. So we are, you know, looking at some offenses. I think Philly's another one uh, where we could just potentially see Philly and New Jersey, maybe the other ones where we could just see four or five guys kind of constantly rotating, unfortunately, maybe sapping some of the value away from each other. But yes, your New Orleans Breakers my number two team in the power rankings, mostly because of Kyle Sloter. Uh, hopefully we get a Sloter-Tiamu championship game by the end of the year. This next team is maybe the most interesting, Cody. The Philadelphia Stars, we're getting the band back together. Bart Andrus, he's been doing uh, developmental leagues his entire career, seemingly NFL Europe, CFL, Spring League, and he was like the team nine coach for the XFL. They kind of had this regular team that was like full free agents that they consistently trained. Must have been depressing as hell to be on that team, <laughs> but uh, I kind of see where the idea was coming from. Anyway, Andrus, you know, is uh, involved enough in these things to continue to sign up for one league after another and had a lot of success in the spring. Spring League, Cody, and that takes us to the QB1. Brian Scott, 
We have almost nothing on this guy other than his excellence in the spring league. I was watching some of his highlights yesterday, tweeting about it, and Brian Scott did follow me on Twitter. So keep that in mind with this conversation because I am now a lifelong Philadelphia Stars fan. I'm going to favor Brian Scott regardless of what he puts out there on the field. But seriously, man, the guy went to Occidental College, like mm -hmm. never even caught on with the practice squad. With that said, man, and you know this better than anyone, Cody, spring league stats are a freaking nightmare to find. But on a YouTube highlight video, if we can take this creator at his word, you know, he did lead He did lead um, the league's number one scoring offense, 32.5 points per game. He was a spring league MVP in 2020. And you look at the highlights, the dude's throwing downfield in the tight windows. I'm not so sure we're getting like a ton of dual threat goodness from the guy. But man, again, in, in a league where you said this before, like we have quarterbacks that sucked largely in college, didn't get a chance anywhere else. And maybe they sucked elsewhere too. At least Brian Scott within the last two years has played football at a high level, regardless of the competition he faced. Anyone that follows me know that I'm pretty much willing to lean on the data wherever I can. That's been evident in all the showdown work that I've done and anything else that I've done. But this is the one area where I've decided to kind of throw data out the window. And I'm leaning on continuity. I'm leaning on familiar familiarity. I'm leaning on Bart Anderson's love of freaking developmental football. <laughs> like we'll get into some guys who I don't, I just like legitimately don't think they, they even care that they're here. Uh, uh, one guy that we're both fading pretty hard, but like Andrews, is legitimately happy to be here, I think. And the fact that he's bringing the band back together, it isn't just it isn't just Brian Scott bringing, bringing him back at quarterback. He's got wide receivers that are coming with him. He's got offensive linemen that are coming with him as well. So this team's rolling deep, bringing the Spriggling champions of 2020 to the USFL. And yeah, the Spring League is a lesser version of the USFL. The, the competition level is certainly not as good as what we're going to see here in the USFL. But this dude dusted Zach Mettenberger for the starting job in 2020. Like Zach Mettenberger was a quarterback at LSU, right? Like, like this is this is a a guy that I think is going to be good in these type of type of leagues. Um, so you mentioned his stats, uh, MVP trophy, TSL champion, uh, and and Andrews as a play caller is going to be extremely pass heavy, extremely pass heavy. He talked that offense looks so wide open, man. It seemed like every yes. highlight was like five wide, no one in the backfield. And, and that's exactly what he's going to do. And he's been doing this for a long time at all different levels of football. And it goes back to like 1996. I think in that RJ young interview, he said that he was coaching a college game and they didn't know what they were going to do. They, they were worried about that. They were going to get their asses kicked. And he <laughs> says, he goes out and we're just going to outscore them. So he did, he went no huddle passed almost every play beat him 72 to eight. Uh, and I think Ooh. from there, he was just a lifelong fan of, of actual fun football. Um, so we get Bart Andrews who has familiarity with his quarterback has familiarity with his offensive line and with some of the wide receivers that he's bringing over. I think that's going to set up big for them starting week one. We just talked about how these teams don't have a lot of time together for training camp. Uh, they don't have a lot of continuity. But when you bring in four, five, six, seven guys from a team that just won a championship at a slightly lesser level in 2020, I think you've got a good head start, man. I think this is a good starting point for uh, a tandem in Brian Scott and Bart Andrews that people don't know a lot about. Yeah, we got the Philadelphia Stars at the New Orleans Breakers in Week One, dude. That's that. It's a good line. I, I'm this, uh Philly by favored by two and a half, which yeah. I do think is probably fair based on the continuity. Unfortunately, I think we have the best four quarterbacks all facing each other uh, in Week One, so that's the only kind of part where I'm a little bit hesitant. This will be interesting because we just talked about all these unders, and I don't know if this game would get to 53 and a half or 55 and a half or whatever it was pegged at initially, but this is one where I could easily see it shooting out, right? Like yeah. we got two good quarterbacks, two coaches that want to throw a lot, and one side has some offensive continuity that they can start moving the ball pretty early on. 
Um, so this is one game as we look ahead towards week one lines and week one DFS, man, this is one where I know the the general DFS public is aware of Tiamu. Anyone that played XFL DFS is aware of Jordan Tiamu. I don't know how much these guys are are aware of Brian Scott and, and Cal Sloter. This is going to be a fun game. That's why the stars are third in my power rankings because everything else, the continuity, I, I'm with you. I am buying into that, but ultimately I do think Tiamu and Sloter, like I just believe yeah. in them a little bit more than Brian Scott. Maybe that changes after week one. I am very excited to see what he is cooking with. But yeah, you mentioned, man, Darnell Holland uh, was with them with the Spring League uh, Generals. I believe uh, Devin Gray, there was a couple of receivers that were as well. And to your point, some offensive linemen. Holland to me is someone that I think, think does deserve to be in the upper tier of running backs we're paying attention to. Seems like he can catch the ball. Uh, we do have Matt Colburn. Again, we got just a few scrimmage highlights, and one of them, he caught a touchdown pass, so that's better than not having a highlight of you <laughs> catching a touchdown pass. Paul Terry is someone who is technically maybe a running back or maybe a wide receiver. So there are a couple of situations like that. There's some tight ends being listed as a tight end slash fullback or whatever. So, again, I think we'll be have far more clarity after week one. But, man, Holland, he's he was the first running back they picked, and he goes back to having the experience uh, with Andrew in the spring league i think he's someone that we should be leaning on out of these three running back committees i agree i do peg this as a three back committee off the jump but i would love to come out of week one wrong here and just hope that he separates and is you know a 45 50 percent uh rushing share back and gets targeted eight nine ten percent of the time and kind of puts these other two guys in the dust but i'm not so sure about that i think andrews is, is fully uh, able to lean on a committee here and i think that holland will be the lead back in a three back committee but i'm trying to target these two back uh offenses and especially only having to roster one of them holland might be the first man out that's the thing man I and mean, we'll get to groshek in a little bit but i just i think between emmons and groshek like it's just so hard to really get behind anyone else at this point hopefully we do have some extra guys emerge in the wide receiver room devin gray jordan sewell brennan eagles deandre overton maurice alexander and chris roland any i guess uh just major overall takeaways from this group we do have bug howard at tight end who is one of the more accomplished ones in the league for the life of me i don't know why like he didn't report to camp and then he yeah. did like a week later so bug Howard's like been all over the transaction reports so far. Uh, are you expecting to kind of lead this passing game? Uh, speaking about Brian Scott and, and being a Twitter OG, he followed you, like some of your tweets. He follows me too and like some Let's of my go. tweets. And uh, I tweeted out because I was excited about Bug Howard. And this was before I knew the, the roster requirements. But uh, when I saw that Bug reported for camp, I just tweeted out Bug is back and Brian Scott liked that tweet. So, of Dude, course, off digging. that news, I had to bump his target share up about 5 or 6%. But my biggest takeaway in doing research for the stars was Brian Scott has a type. And I sent out this tweet too, and he liked this tweet too. Jordan Sewell is 6'6", 205. Brendan Eagles is 6'4", 229. DeAndre Overton is 6'5", 209. And if you you watched his YouTube highlights, he loves throwing these tight window contested catches with just big ass dudes that can go up and get the ball. And Jordan Sewell was one of those guys who put up big numbers with him. Again, these numbers are really hard to find. There's like no actual data source for him. You're just kind of scraping YouTube highlights and getting what you can. Uh, but Jordan Sewell was a guy that put up big numbers with him. Devin Gray played with the, the TSL Generals as well. There's just so much continuity that I'm leaning on that in week one. I think that Sewell's got the skill set. He's got the size. He's got the rapport with him. And he's got the draft capital. This is the guy that I think is going to be kind of the, at least from the beginning, 
kind of the wide receiver one for the stars. And I hope that's right because I, I'm super excited about this kid. I, if you just look at him on a football field next to other human beings, he's freaking massive. I think the 6'6 six, six or 6'5, six, whatever he's listed at, might even be wrong. This dude is huge. Yeah, I'm making a note to move Sewell up in the old ranks after that great shit, Cody. Man, I want Brian Scott to be good so bad. Yes. The fact that he's like digging through, you know, looking at all these tweets, uh, fantastic. Because, you know, just in general, people don't tag players unless you're just being super nice and like you want to tell a player you love them, you're thankful for them, send good vibes. Don't tag them. Now, if they want to go dig through tweets, search their name and stuff, and then come to something, okay, it is what right. it is. Right. Uh, but, you know, spread those positive vibes. It's April. We're talking about a bunch of guys that maybe haven't exactly seen their professional careers go the way they want. Let's try to collectively not be dicks as much as possible. Possible. Again, Philadelphia Stars, my number three ranked team in the power ranking. Is that kind of where you're approaching them to, Cody? Because again, love everything about the coaching staff, the continuity. It's, it's just Brian Scott. I think their odds, though, at plus, uh, plus 600, out of any championship odds, I think I would probably like Philadelphia Stars value the most. Yeah, and I don't know. You, you guys might not be able to get a ton of action down if you are looking for championship odds on any of the books that are offering them right now. But uh, you can find the uh, stars at plus 650. And as we'll get into, and as you just saw with uh, with our rankings, with Ian and I's rankings, like we have the Tampa Bay Breakers and, or Tampa Bay Bandits and the New Orleans Breakers as one, two. Those teams are both in the South, and one team is going to come out of each division. So I think that. I agree with you that they're probably the third team in the league, but I think they're the best team in the North. And I think they're the best team in the North by a little bit. Um, so I think if you're looking for a bet, just a team that can make the championship game, I think the stars have a better chance. If, if my assessment of Scott and Andrews is correct, then whoever's going to duke it out between the breakers and the bandits, because I think the North division is just a little bit softer than the South. It's a great point, man. I think we're about to start to get to these other North teams that have the coaching <laughs> staffs that give us a little pause. Uh, first of all, Jeff Fisher and the Michigan Panthers, flanked by offensive coordinator Eric Marty, who's spent the last six years head coach of Reedley College and more recently offensive coordinator for Grambling State. This is where I start to, you know, what I mentioned before, where we see some of these coaches like, okay, let's see what they were doing at these schools. And then you're like, what the hell, man? 17.2 <laughs> points per game at Grambling State. And they had a 55% run play rate despite going 4-7 and seven and losing by an average of 10.4 points per game. Furthermore, not a single player in this offense had more than 112 rush attempts or 35 receptions. So everything was split in a committee and a bad offense that ran the ball a lot. As we know with Jeff Fisher, great mustache, you know, fun guy. Like his Twitter presence has been fantastic. Cody, I don't think Jeff Fisher has been grinding like new modern offenses and how to improve things. I think he wants to go out there, run the piss out of the ball. And when you start looking at the offense, we got four tight ends. It's the only team in the league with only four wide receivers. Like we're hearing Paxton Lynch being compared to Josh Allen as a potential <laughs> like rush, rush heavy quarterback behind Shea Patterson. You know, I gave the Panthers the four spot. I, maybe that's too high, man. All I know is that, you know, them being treated as this prohibitive favorite is absolutely ludicrous. I think it does come on the heels of Jeff Fisher just having, can you call it success at the NFL level, but being an NFL coach for as long as he was and, and credit to him. And I don't want to come in here and disparage Jeff Fisher. I've already done enough of that, but like <laughs> just listening to those RJ young interviews and he did a whole series with all of these head coaches. He was the one that was easiest for me not to be attracted to. Like if I was a player <laughs> or if like, as I was a, a per media personality or anything, like he was the easiest one to just kind of dislike some of the things that he said about, uh, I felt like I got the Rams to the Super Bowl. They just didn't take me with them uh, after he got fired by the Rams. Things like that just make you not particularly like this guy. And as you mentioned, this is the one where, where I was talking about Andrews loves 
spring league football. Andrews loves minor league football. Jeff Fisher, does he love minor league football? Is he really here to 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 be a force in this league, or is he just here because he's Jeff Fisher and he's got the mustache? I don't know, but it gets <laughs> someone asked him to do it. He said yes, and he's like, "Oh shit, it's actually here. I got to do this now." <laughs> His offensive coordinator Eric Marty might be an even bigger concern. Um, he's a he's the creator of what he has dubbed the tight end driven multiple gun offense oh my God. Uh, he sells an entire series uh on coach tube so his information his offense is obviously <laughs> so good that he's got to give out the information for 39.99 and a vhs so i'm extremely nervous about what he's going to do with this offense a 55 percent rush rate when he was getting demolished at grambling state is not something that inspires too much confidence i think this is going to be an offense that just plays not to lose games they're going to establish the run Shout out to establish the run. They're going to establish it and they're going to use the Shea Patterson, Paxton Lynch dual quarterback thing. I think Paxton Lynch is going to come in for a couple rushing attempts a game, maybe throw a few passes. I think the quarterbacks are entirely out of play. Um, but I think that the reason that they're getting love in the betting markets and, and just people that haven't paid too much attention to the league is because of the Jeff Fisher name. With Shea Patterson, like the Paxton Lynch comment is what's scaring me often because yeah. relative to a lot of these other quarterbacks, Shea Patterson, I think, was better in college at Michigan and even Ole Miss there. And, you know, you look at him, the 4-7-1 40-yard dash. He did pop around a couple NFL training camps, but he also couldn't really catch on in the spring league or the CFL. And, again, just having Fisher there in an offense is going to be run first. Um, I'm mostly going to be fading this passing game. Shout out to, again, one of the spring league highlights, one of the few spring league highlights we got, uh, LaMichael Petway, a tight end, had like a sick – touchdown catch. I think it was like a fourth and eight and Patterson got yep. off sides and just chucked it deep. So that was fun. But when we have four tight ends to worry about in this absolutely ridiculous offense, I love that coach tube, uh, you know, data you were able to drive <laughs> up there. Uh, it's just tough to get behind anyone in this passing game. We do have Lance Lenore, Jeff Bidette, you know, Ray Bolden, Devin Ross. So some familiar names. I'm just not convinced they're going to be throwing the ball around enough. Maybe we can get some usage out of the running back room though. Stevie Scott, Reginald Corbin and Cameron Scarlett, all the big three there. Scott, six foot one, 225 pounds, profiles as the lead back with that draft capital. Is he the guy we should be? Is he the guy you think we should be going after? We do have, you know, some semblance of a potential pass down floor with that said, Scarlett, also a big guy. Corbin might be the best pass down back of the group. I think this is another three back committee, but I do think that Stevie Scott is the lead back. It looks like all these guys could potentially profile if necessary as a, a true workhorse. I just don't think they'll be used in that manner. Now, if we're right about the run-heavy offense and just wrong about how efficient it is or how inefficient it is, if this is a run-first offense and they're efficient, then there is going to be a ton of value with somebody like Stevie Scott, who is going to get, uh, obviously, two-down work, is going to get attempts near the goal line if they make it there. And that's somebody that could just rack up enough points without a huge rush, uh, without a huge pass game upside to, to get us there. So I have a little bit of interest. I do have him as like a clear rb1 but still on a three-back committee with cameron scarlett as as kind of the clear third guy and reggie corbin mixing in there a little bit more than him and that is something to keep in mind with this maybe this offensive line is full of badasses and they're gonna yeah. be able to run the ball at a high level and be a great usfl team the whole idea of passing the ball more is usually more so at the nfl level where the passing games are so efficient that it does make sense to throw the ball more but college and high school man like you do see situations where teams are so good running the ball that it actually is uh, safer to do that so we're not completely riding off jeff fisher and folks but based on just the you know again shreds tiny amount of data we have i do think he deserves to be uh 
at least drop down from that prohibitive number one favorite that a lot of people are treating him as. Again, any real notes on this past game, man? I just think I, I don't hate the quarterback room. Like that's why I have them fourth. I think Patterson and Lynch, relative to some of these other rooms, actually are like you could argue they're top four, top five uh, collectively. But I just think right now there's so much uncertainty in this potential four tight end offense. Uh, I'd rather just I'd rather just take a you know, wide receivers from either of New Orleans, uh, Tampa Bay, or Philadelphia instead. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the the notes that Jeff Fisher had on Paxton Lynch's usage and using him like Josh Allen to run was definitely concerning. I don't think you can go into week one expecting to use either of these guys, but they might be able to support a pass catcher if this team is at least 50-50 uh, run pass, which I don't expect them to be. But Shea Patterson was good at with against Big Ten competition or better than average against Big Ten competition, which is something to say. Uh, and though he couldn't catch on really past the spring league in CFL, um, he is one of the better quarterbacks in this league. We have to admit it. it even, as much as Jeff Fisher is clouding our uh, Michigan Panthers judgments, Shea Patterson is one of the better quarterbacks in the USFL. I use some of PFF's more stable metrics, you know, when uh, trying to predict college quarterbacks to NFL. And Shea Patterson, his last two years in Michigan, 91.9 passing grade from a clean pocket. That was 16th among 133 qualified quarterbacks. He was 43rd on standard dropbacks. You know, 58th first and second down, 39th with no play action. Good. Not amazing. We understand it's not amazing. There's a reason why he's in the USFL. Uh, but again, better than a lot of these quarterbacks we're about to talk about. Takes us right to the Pittsburgh Maulers. Cody, other than the Panthers, man, I think the Maulers are profiling as potentially our, you know, most run heavy team. The name fits. We got head coach Kirby Wilson, who has spent like the last 20 years just being an NFL running back coach all over the place. And then we have offensive coordinator John Tomlinson. Um, maybe some of the most hilarious stats that I've pulled up <laughs> from this guy. Quarterback and pass game, quarterback coach and pass game coordinator for D3 Juanita College. I couldn't <laughs> find how long he was there, but the last three years they went 0 and 10, 2 and 8, and 1 and 9. In the last season specifically, they reached 17 points in two of their 10 games. And despite all this, they ran the ball on 53% of their plays. Cody, what is wrong with these teams, man? Just throw the ball. You're getting killed and you're terrible. Like, this is a red flag to me. Um, again, maybe, maybe they are built to run the ball. Maybe Kirby Wilson is going to get these boys ready and they're going to be tough and everything. But my God, man, like Kyle Luletta, their quarterback, I think is a top four, top five USFL yeah. quarterback. But damn it, man, it's so tough to just get behind him based on what we're looking at in these coaches. Yeah, I'm with you, man. This coaching staff is wild because Kirby Wilson, a running backs coach, seemingly a guy that just loved to be a running backs coach for his entire NFL career. That ended shortly, not too long ago. And then he brings in a, an offensive coordinator who, as you just mentioned, was at D3 Juanita College and was still running 53% of the time Come when on. his teams were getting absolutely dusted. So you give me a running backs coach who, of course, wants his teams to run the ball and said as much on RJ Young's podcast, said he wants to establish the run, commit to, to owning the line of scrimmage. Oh. And then he's got this guy from, from Juanita College that just wants to uh, apparently establish it when they're getting their asses kicked too. Uh, it doesn't leave me much confidence with the quarterback position. I don't think Laoletta is going to have even enough volume, even if he's extremely efficient, to do anything. He's not a running quarterback himself. So I think that they're just going to lean on this two-back uh, running attack, which we're both pretty excited about, and go from there. And yeah, that was kind of my takeaway on uh, Kyle Loretta too. Like, okay, eight to four touchdown to INT ratio in the preseason. 
He was 46 among 59 guys in just completion rate. He wasn't good in the preseason, but believe it or not, he was better than some of these other guys. Uh, and yeah, just when you look ahead at this potential offense, he doesn't run the ball and he's probably not going to throw the ball enough either. And you may, maybe he is a good real life quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a good fantasy quarterback in the USFL. The one redeeming quality though, Cody, is that we have another, our second and only two back backfield, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh. The only two teams rolling with this. Garrett Groshek, RB1, Madre London, RB2, I think. Now, Devion Smith was their original RB2. They did pick Groshek in the first round. Um, I would have been more willing to believe Groshek could possibly be a fullback if they had kept Devion Smith and if they had not also signed a true fullback in Mikey Daniel after the fact. So maybe London is pretty involved too. You know, you look at them, Groshek's 5'11", 220 pounds. London's 6'1", 218 pounds. Both these guys theoretically can work across all three downs. Uh, we did see Groshek, though, far more used as a receiver at Wisconsin compared to London at Michigan State and Tennessee. Groshek, man, I think is firmly in the conversation for RB2 behind only BJ Evans. I was with you thinking that, man, like, and I, I hate to do this thing just like looking at the guy, but if you look at Garrett Groshek, he looks like a fullback, like yeah. has a classic like fullback mullet, big, He massive. is white. Let's just call a spade He's, a spade. <laughs> He's he's about to be Derry Sanders 2.0. This dude is a massive go. white dude with a mullet, and you're like, there's no way he can carry the rock 20 <laughs> times at the at the professional level, can he? Well, I think he's about to. If you listen again to those RJ Young podcasts, like Kirby Wilson is a true football guy. Like he's a football guy's football guy, and he <laughs> talked about trusting his players, and he mentioned even about uh, specifically about Groshek. He says he knows there's somebody faster. He knows there's somebody bigger, but there's no one that's going to outwork Groshek. And like the fact that they cut, waved, whatever, Devion Smith, who was the leading running back in the AAF and XFL, like that, that sealed it for me. I had this thing like as a 60-40 split in favor of Devion Smith. He gets cut. They bring in a dude in Madre, Madre London who was an absolute baller at the European League of Football. You've got the page pulled up there, but like 2,000 yards rushing, 24 Ooh. total touchdowns across 11 games. And he was the MVP. And this wasn't like a thing specific to the European League of Football where like running backs just go nuts. He had over a thousand yards more than the next closest running back. So I think this there, the guy that they brought in is a capable running back. I just think that Wilson is a guy who is willing to, until proven otherwise, give Garrett Groshek the rock. And so I like, I'm pegging this now a 50, 55, 45 type of split in favor of Groshek, who I think is going to get a lot of opportunities in this offense. Garrett Groshek, truly a top two RB. Most of my DraftKings roster is going to have him or BJ Emmons in that RB spot for show. With the wide receiver room, again, it's just a projected run first offense, man. So no offense to Jeffrey Thomas, Bailey Gaither, Brandon Mack, Del Delvin Hardaway, or Trey Walker. I'm just not so sure where the volume is going to be. A tight end, Matt Siebert and Hunter Thedford. It is only two tight ends, but you look at the guys and neither of them really put up big numbers. And again, we're just not going to worry too much about um, tight ends. We do have uh, Mack. Excuse me, still learning. You know, I'm not 100% with all these names yet. Give me a little bit of a break here, everyone. Brandon Mack, you know, is six foot five, 217 pounds, led the power five and contested catches, you know, recently in 2020. And when you look at Thomas, you know, just five foot nine, 175 pounds, I could see Gaither and Mack on the outside with Thomas in the slot. But Cody, it might just be a situation where there's not enough volume for any of these guys to give us much fancy usefulness. If you're looking for anybody and you're getting completely off the board, uh, looking ahead to week one, I think Brandon Mack is that guy. He offers a size plus college production profile that you can get excited about. He had a 24.4% yeah. target share in his junior season at Temple. Um, 
yeah, I mean, like this is going to be a run first offense. We like the quarterback play, I think, uh, at least relative to league average. Um, but I just don't think that one of these guys is going to separate enough, especially in a run first offense to really be too fantasy viable, unless you're just getting completely off the board from, from the jump. That was the Pittsburgh Maulers, my fifth ranked team plus 600 title odds. As we get to the next three teams, I, I'm more willing to give, I think Pittsburgh a little bit. Okay. I'll put, I put them probably in the same tier as the New Jersey Generals, our next team. And then I think our seventh and eighth teams are clearly the two worst in the league. But let's start off with the New Jersey Generals, plus 700 odds. Mike Riley. So Mike Riley is also getting the band back together. The problem is the band was never really good to begin with. Uh, you know, it's this is just like the poor man's version of what they're doing in Philadelphia. I feel <laughs> like, man, like Riley, he, look, he's been the head coach of the AAF San Antonio Commanders. More recently, you know, he was the OC for the XFL Seattle Dragons. These teams weren't terrible, but I thought he picked the wrong quarterback quarterback both times man like we have yes. brandon silver starting over bj daniels then logan woodside who is inexplicably still the titans backup quarterback i have no idea how every year when i do my <laughs> backup quarterback ranks i put him near the bottom but they pick woodside over marquise williams who's most well known for beating out trubisky at north carolina i think my the favorite moment in my like sad aaf ranking life was when i ranked marquise williams ahead of christian hackenberg in a week where williams was not starting and hackenberg was hackenberg got benched i I was right. Nailed that QB eight, QB nine, week three AAF quarterback ranking spot. I'm sure everyone uh, remembers that as well. Anyway, with this offense, like, look, it's, we can really look right at the Seattle Dragons because you know Steve Smith was the O line coach for the Dragons. He's now going to be the offensive coordinator for the Generals. I mean, this was the second most run heavy offense in the XFL. I mean, 53.5 pass play rate in non garbage time situations. They were seventh in yards per attempt. They were sixth in yards per carry. This was not a good offense. And Cody, we saw this with Santo and Seattle this man loves using three running backs I think we're gonna get kind of a run heavy offense that uses a lot of running backs and then when they throw the ball who knows how good it's gonna be because their first round quarterback Ben Holmes was already injured and released that means we'll either get DeAndre Johnson or you know again another developmental league mainstay Luis Perez under center I reject this idea that Perez is good at all like what yes. the hell Yes. What is this, man? Like, if, as, if people never watched a single snap of AAF or XFL, like, this dude is maybe the slowest quarterback in the league with his feet, and his decision making isn't much better. Last preseason, talking about Justin Fields. So absolutely pitiful performance from Perez in the AAF. He was a little better in the XFL, but he didn't start. Matt McGloin beat him out and then proceeded to tell the cameras at halftime that their offensive game plan was shit. And only then did Luis Perez actually find the field, man. So I don't love the coaching staff. I don't love Luis Perez. We don't know much about DeAndre Johnson other than the fact that he was a former Florida State recruit and last chance U star. So a whole lot of mysteries here in New Jersey, man. You mentioned the quarterback stuff off the front too with Mike Riley make, making the wrong choice twice in these yeah. developmental leagues. He's going to do it again here with Lewis Perez, man. I think Lewis Perez is going to come off the street oh. as a free agent quarterback and start over DeAndre Johnson. And when your team isn't that good to begin with, or at least doesn't look that good on paper, or even look at your past success as the commander's head coach uh, or as the Seattle Dragons offensive coordinator, like do something that gives you a little bit of variance and some upside. And DeAndre Johnson is that at least. We know what we have with Lewis Perez. He's going to be a 54, 55% completion rate type of guy. He's going to have basically a one-to-one -to -one touchdown to interception ratio. He's not going to inspire much confidence in any passing game. So use a guy in DeAndre Johnson that has at least shown the ability to run the ball. I don't think he's going to do that. I think we're going to get Lewis Perez under center. Uh, and that pretty much takes a lot of these guys off the board for me. 
You mentioned the three-back committee, Mike Weber, Trey Williams, Darius Victor. We've seen this before. Riley is just going to run a running back by committee. He had Trey Williams with to the Seattle Dragons and the San Antonio Commanders. That made me excited when I saw that. They've got the, the draft capital. You've got the previous connection. But Trey Williams wasn't even the, the leading rusher on either of those teams. So now you got Mike Weber ahead of him. I think Mike Weber is at least in line for RB1 duties but ahead, ahead of Trey Williams. And then I think that uh, supplemental draft pick, Darius Victor, who played a bunch for the New York Guardians, is kind of the man that gets cleanup duties there. But uh, yeah, I agree with your ranking and your assessment of Mike Riley's uh, New Jersey Generals. I had to deal as a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. I had to deal with Mike Riley for way too many years. So uh, I'm probably letting, again, my, my bias cloud my judgment here, but I, I'm out. I'm out on the New Jersey Generals heading into week one. I love your point, though. Just give you a chance, like at some upper, like if you're gonna get, if you're gonna lose and get killed, but let's, get, yeah. let's try to see if we can go <laughs> yeah. out there and win. Um, you know, Mike Lombardi, you know, just a staple in the fantasy community, uh, NFL community. Sorry, uh, but he he always brings up that one quote. Um, I forget who said it originally, but it was basically like the number one swordsman in the world isn't afraid of the number two swordsman; he's afraid of the un- unorthodox swordsman. Sounds like Mike Riley is just gonna, you know, c- come to a sword fight against it, uh, overmatched and still with the sword. I don't know, man. Bring a grenade or something. Let's try to see <laughs> what we can do uh, with DeAndre Johnson. So I'm, uh, yeah, I've, I hope that DeAndre Johnson wins the job, but you know, I would not be surprised at all if Luis Perez does end up, you know, season that, like you said, or at least being pretty involved early. And no, we are not high on him as a rusher or passer in the USFL. Mike Weber, I feel like is going to get a lot of hype, at least for week one, because he's one of the most well-known running backs dating back to his time at Ohio state. I'm not, I don't dismiss the idea that he's good, but Cody, like it's weird, man, from August to January every year, Everyone agrees that running backs don't really matter. We're just chasing the opportunity. But from February to April, I see I, I see fantasy analysts that probably haven't. It's okay if you haven't played a game of football. But my God, can we spare this with like, oh, look at this guy's vision. Look at his tackle breaking <laughs> ability. Like I'm in a rookie, I'm in a rookie draft, and I'm hearing someone talk about how Kenneth Walker is just a can't miss guy because of how good his vision is, patience is. That's fine. I'm not saying his vision and patience isn't great, but we're chasing these guys because everyone is saying he's gonna be a number two running back pick, and that means he's gonna get a lot of opportunities. So Mike Weber might be good, but yeah, we have Trey Williams. We know he's gonna be involved. And Darius Victor is someone that's shown some pass down chops in the in the developmental leagues, I do think it'll be a three-man running back room. And there's another big name here at wide receiver with Jamal Moore, former Packer, and another former NFLer, Darius Shepard. We did see Cavante Turbin actually be the first wide receiver off the board. He is just five foot nine, 155 pounds, though. So they picked him first. I'd expect him to probably be in the slot, but I think Jamal Moore probably deservedly is the number one guy in this offense. But man, Cody, like I'm not gonna put Jamal Moore in the top three to four wide receivers just because I've heard of the guy when everything else in the passing game seems like a red flag. That's what the problem here is. I have Jamon Moore as one of my highest targeted players, highest target share going into week one. But how excited can you get about a team that's not going to be efficient and isn't going to pass a lot? So I think he's going to fall down the ranks a little bit just because of the overall passing offense, not having anything to do with his ability to earn targets, which I think he will do at a high level. Uh, To your point on Kevante Turpin, 5'9", 155, I think that... And we talk about these quarterbacks being with their coaches as they were drafted. I think Kevontae Turpin was uh, a little bit of a bone thrown to Ben Holmes's way because he oh, played. No. they played together in the spring league. I don't know why you would select a 5'8", 5'9", 155-pound wide receiver first, 
when you've got other guys available, unless your quarterback tells you to. Uh, so with Ben Holmes injured, uh, I'm sure Kevonte Turpin, just based off draft capital, I'm sure he's a, a great football player. I'm sure he's going to play a little bit. But uh, yeah, I'm leaning on the guys that we know of, Jamon Moore and Darius Shepard, who have shown the ability to earn targets as NFL preseason players. And again, similar skill level here in the USFL. I just don't know how efficient and how pass heavy this offense will be as a whole. Fun name that we've also seen on these former squads. Again, like this is like a middle-class poor man's version of the Philadelphia <laughs> Stars, I think, is Alonzo Moore. They went ahead and picked him up in the supplemental draft. Like, it makes sense to me if he gets out there in three wide receiver sets. I thought he did some good stuff, particularly with the uh, commanders in the AAF. But yeah, Jamal Moore, Darius Shepard should be prioritized here. Not loving it. Um, fun note I found with Nicholas Truesdell. Sadly, the best spot for a lot of these guys' info is Wikipedia. Apparently, Truesdell had an 80-catch, 977-yard, 23-touchdown receiving line in the Arena Football League uh, wow. back in the day. That sounds wrong. I wouldn't be shocked if it is, but you know what, Cody? It's uh, April. We're talking about you know going on 65 minutes talking about the USFL. I'm going to choose to believe that Nick Truesdell is a beast among boys. Uh, with that said, three tight end room, run heavy offense, probably just avoid him until proven otherwise. Anything else you want to say about Mike Riley's generals? One last note. We got to find somebody who loves us in this life as much as Mike Riley loves Alonzo Moore. He coached him <laughs> for three seasons at Nebraska, had him at the AAF Commanders and the XFL Dragons. Oh. So they're together again here in the USFL. Mike Riley loves him some Alonzo Moore. Not that he's been overly productive at any of those stops, but he is going to see the field. That's for sure. Last two teams. We've got the Houston Gamblers plus 700. Best name in the USFL. Nobody is discounting that. Our Houston Gamblers, I'm fine with rooting for them. Head coach Kevin Sumlin, you know, obviously longtime Houston, Texas A&M, most recently Arizona head coach. As we brought up with um, Mazone, though, Arizona stretch didn't exactly end well. Final three offenses, 43rd, 77th, 119th in scoring, and had a pretty much like below average. I guess like based on college, 54.8% pass play rate isn't terrible. Maybe we do see them spread the ball out. You know, someone's certainly done that, uh, you know, every step of his career. But man, oh man, I am terrified of trusting Clayton Thorson, the former Northwestern quarterback. Like I was looking at when he got drafted, uh, PFF sent out uh, a nice tweet like, oh, like he's, you know, shown some upside and stuff. And then they put the advanced stats. I love, I love PFF guys. And I know our social media managers work hard, but like every single advanced stat was like outside the top 80. I'm not <laughs> sure how you can paint a picture of him being a good prospect. And my God, I think him and the next quarterback, we're going to talk about Alex McCoo. Two probably single worst quarterbacks that we've seen in the preseason. I mean, Clayton Thorson, it truly is just ridiculous. We've had 78 quarterbacks with at least 50 preseason dropbacks since 2019. Thorson is 77th in PFF passing grade, 76th in QB rating, 77th in yards per attempt, dead last in adjusted completion rate. Backup Kenji Baher rewrote the Monmouth uh, record book. I would love to see him get a chance. Right now, though, man, I just don't really trust Clayton Thorson. Maybe I should be putting more faith in Kevin Sumlin. What do you make out of this passing game? Because I'm not so far out on Sumlin, I guess, but I just don't believe in Clayton Thorson. Yeah, I'm with you on Sumlin. I think that I would peg this offense just a little bit better if we knew the quarterback play was going to be better because mm -hmm. I think we get up-tempo. We, uh, we know that Sumlin's been up-tempo at all of his stops. Texas A&M, Arizona ran a play like every 21, 22 seconds, which is way up there uh, in the college ranks. I know he's going to be up-tempo. I know he's going to play with pace. But yeah, it is extremely hard to get excited about Clayton Thorson. 58% uh, completion rate in college at Northwestern, 6.3 yards per attempt, 3.6% touchdown rate. And then as you mentioned, those preseason numbers, which we have about a two or three games, two or three full game sample worth of pass attempts for him, 44.9% completion rate, just two touchdowns, three interceptions. 
this South division is loaded. Yeah, this Houston quarterback room is pretty uninspiring. I'm not excited about Clayton Thorson at all. And I'm with you on Kenji Baher. I doubt he'll get a chance because Clayton Thorson has the division one chops, but it's it's just tough to get excited about this quarter, quarterback room in general. Looking at the running back room, this one's interesting because the number one running back they picked, Dalen Dawkins, he's only five foot seven, 183 pounds. You would think that they picked him first. Maybe they'll throw him the ball for a reason and stuff, but Devwa Whaley is five foot eleven, two hundred twelve pounds, and their second running back was Mark Thompson, who's six foot two, two hundred thirty five pounds. When they actually drafted him, and the USFL sent out the graphic, though he was listed as a running back fullback. So there's a chance that this actually is a two back backfield, and Thompson's used more exclusively as a fullback. With that in mind, Devwa Whaley could actually be the one that we see get the most overall touches here. You know, he was a former four star recruit. You know, went to Arkansas, flashed a little bit here and there, seemingly can work across all three downs. Are you with me that Whaley is maybe the underrated guy here? I know he went supplemental, uh, which I, you know, do feel a little bit risky, you know, going out on a limb with that. But just based on kind of the height weight of Dawkins and Thompson, it does seem like Whaley is maybe a decent bet, you know, as a uh, contrarian play, if you will, behind our two obvious running backs we're trying to target. And this was something we were just talking about in our internal Slack channel at ETR, just trying to get our target share projections and rush share projections in line for week one was do we discount these supplemental guys or was there maybe a reason they weren't ready for the main draft? And if they were in the main draft, they would have gotten drafted higher. We don't know because that information just isn't out there. So we're leaning towards just kind of discounting that supplemental draft capital. But I kind of agree with you. Mark Thompson's a massive dude. And the fact that he is listed as a running back slash fullback can be concerning. I will say that on that RJ Young series, Sumlin talked a lot about using uh, diversity with his running backs and having them split out wide and obviously using them as running backs and mentioned Mark Thompson specifically by name. So I think he'll certainly be involved in a three back committee, but I do think it's just that I think we see Dalen Dawkins as the preferred pass catcher with the, with the higher draft capital Mark Thompson used in short yardage goal line situations, possibly even on early downs and then Devwa Whaley mixing in both uh, with the ability to catch passes and run. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's a complete stay away, but I do think Mark Mark Thompson will mix in enough on early downs to uh, definitely have this group rated below the other two that we talked about. That'd be fun to feature Thompson. I'm all for big dudes getting the rock 20 plus times. Like, <laughs> screw it. You know, what are we? We're playing football in the spring. Let's get weird out here. Uh, yeah, I just need to keep an eye on exactly what position he's going to be playing. Wide receiver room, number one guy, Isaiah Zuber. Number two, JoJo Ward. Three, Anthony Ratliff Williams. Man, this one's just kind of all over the place, though, because they don't have a single player weighing over 201 pounds. Tyler Simmons is six foot two. He's the only receiver over six foot one. So when I see Zuber and Ward, I know, you know, they're not very big but i think that one of them is probably going to be on the outside i think it could be jojo ward man i was pulling up some of his highlights at hawaii where he had 1100 yards and 11 touchdowns in his final season in 2019 and they were using him downfield like a lot like he was not just being skiing these low eight touches or anything like that so i think zuber and ward are the two guys to attack here you know how much how many chances are we going to get to have catchable balls from clayton thorson is another story it does seem like this offense though at least compared to you know the previous ones uh, pittsburgh maulers and michigan panthers and some of those more run heavy groups we might actually have you know a larger pie for the overall target share yeah i agree and zuber was a guy that i was interested in height weight profile doesn't do a whole lot for me but the ability for him to earn targets at the college level was pretty impressive had a 29.6 percent target share and 26.9 percent target share uh, before transferring colleges and then dealing with sec competition where he struggled quite a bit but then preseason, and this is some sometimes we don't have a big sample to go off of ran 38 routes in with new england in 2021 
earned nine targets, good for 23.6% target share, uh, targets per route run. So you kind of have to use this information in combination with draft capital. First overall uh, wide receiver drafted for this team. I've got him pegged with one of the league's higher target shares as well. I think he has the capability of separating from this group that uh, the guys below him didn't show much either and, and didn't show an ability to earn targets at lower levels of football as well. So I think Zuber can separate. Uh, again, we just go back to the fact that we don't know how pass heavy this offense will be or how efficient it's going to be. Um, so I like Zuber. Uh, I think he's an interesting name to keep an eye on. I just don't know overall uh, within the, the terms of this offense if he's going to be a fantasy target in week one. Houston Gamblers, number seven ranked team. Again, I love the name. I'm sorry, Houston. I hope you guys <laughs> proved me wrong. Dead last team, though, number eight is going to be the Birmingham Stallions, plus 700 championship odds, led by head coach Skip Holtz. 58, I would have taken the over on that age, you know, just kind of based on his dad and everything. But not exactly, you know, the oldest guy, but he spent the previous 17 years leading East Carolina, South Florida, and Louisiana Tech. Had some success throughout the years, not so much recently, though. Last five years, college football's 48th, 97th, 35th, 78th, and 70th ranked scoring offenses. And I mentioned this before, but man, last, I think it was even three editions, at least the last two, didn't even have a 2,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher, or 650-yard receiver. 57.7% pass play rate. I don't know if that he's going to necessarily be pounding the ball, but this is where we get to the quarterback room. Alex Magoo, yeah, the Seahawks took him in the seventh round, but since then, basically nothing to feel all that good about. 44th among 59 qualified quarterbacks, PFF preseason passing grade, 53rd QB rating, 53rd yards per attempt, a little bit better, 25th in adjusted completion rate. He did have 535 career rushing yards and 16 touchdowns at Florida International. Maybe he actually does emerge as you know a better fantasy quarterback than real life quarterback the problem cody is i think his leash might be shorter than almost anyone else because jamar davis smith their backup was with skip holtz at louisiana tech what say you i think and this is good we can end our team by team previews on a little bit of a dis disagreement i would have the birmingham stallions ranked higher than okay. michigan panthers ranked higher Ooh. than the new jersey generals and on the same tier, maybe higher than the Houston Gamblers. So I don't have, I'm not nearly as low as you are. I do think that this offense will be a little bit more pass heavy just based on some of the things that Skip Holtz did at the college level and how I think that'll translate here to the USFL. I'm not excited about Alex Magoo. I, I wish, can we pronounce it McGough? Because it shouldn't be Magoo. If your name is Magoo, you just have to pronounce it McGough and make that a soft, a soft F there at the end. But, um, he went 62 of 114 for 54% completion rate, a one-for-one one TD to interception ratio in his preseason career. Not bad, not terrible, not something that gets you extremely excited, but I agree with you, uh, short leash. And if he does have to turn over the reins to Jamar Davis-Smith, I think that will be good in turn for the overall offense because I think he's got a little bit more dynamic ability to his game. But the, the receivers are, are what gets me a little bit more excited. I like some of the receivers on this roster, and I think that they can help propel poor quarterback play if that's what we get victor bolden osiris mitchell peyton ramsey manasa bailey marlon williams and michael darius at wide receiver victor bolden was the first pick you know had a nice three-year stint with the lions again we'll take any like if we can actually get past preseason practice squads like that is a huge positive also got to take a look at mitchell six foot five 210 pounds did score 14 touchdowns during his career at mississippi state uh original number two wide receiver emmanuel hall one of the other few names that people might be familiar with yeah. he was released and those a bit of a wrench in this equation but it sounds like bolden might be someone that you are projecting to have one of the higher target shares to start 
I do think Bolden's going to separate. Now, there was a wrench thrown into our Bolden projection initially just based off of the addition of Marlon Williams in the supplemental draft as well. I think Marlon Williams is a guy that can certainly earn targets in this offense, but we do have a pretty good projection on Victor Bolden. I think he'll be one of the most targeted players in week one. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm a little bit more higher on Magoo than, than you might be and a little bit more higher on this offense being a little bit pass happy from the get-go, but I think that we see Victor Bolden separate from the rest of these guys outside of maybe Marlon Williams, who I think will also compete for targets. We will find out who is correct on the Birmingham squad when we actually see football being played, Cody. So I am happy we didn't make through make it through. It's with at least one disagreement here. We will see what Birmingham brings to the table. Real quickly before we finish out of the running back room, this one's interesting to me because all there's three guys, and they all three have like shown enough pass catching chops, and their size is decent enough that you can kind of envision any one of them. Being able to be given a three-down roll, the problem is, you know, when we have three pretty even running backs, we tend to just think it's going to be a three-back committee. But Jordan Chun was the real interesting one to me because he's six feet tall, 230 pounds, but he caught 84 passes, you know, during his career at Troy. So uh, we were talking before about, you know, just the hope that uh, Mark Thompson gets a major role over there in Houston. I feel the same way about Jordan Chun. With that said, you know, gun to my head, I do think we're just going to see another three-back committee here. I'll go one step further. I think we're going to see a four back committee. Oh, we no. have Bobby, we have Bobby Holly listed as a tight end, but I think there was an official graphic that was released recently, uh, and he's listed as an RB slash fullback no. slash tight end. Uh, and he was specifically talking about how much he thought uh, the run game was going to be a factor for this offense. So maybe a, a little bit of a ding for my pass happy approach. But I think we're going to see four guys potentially carry the ball in this offense. And I'm with you, man. If one of them is going to separate, I hope it's Jordan Chun, who can certainly catch passes out of the backfield. But I'm just concerned that we're we're going to see Bobby Holly, who is officially a tight end, also get a couple attempts per game. Cody and I are going to get to week one matchups real quick. Before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to our, my lovely company, PFF. Right now, you can get 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription if you use code DRAFT50. With 365 days of Elite, you can get all the PFF Locked Article content, PFF's NFL Draft Guide, a completely unlocked mock draft simulator. That ingrates from the entire 2021 season, upcoming 2022 season, and of course, countless amounts of USFL content throughout the spring. That's promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription. And also, PFF is launching Hutch, a four-part podcast series with number one overall NFL draft prospect Aiden Hutchinson on April 13th. The show includes interviews with Jim Harbaugh, current and former Michigan football players, key members of Aiden's family, media members, and draft analysts. Check out Hutch on April 13th. I'm sorry, PFF. I, it seems like a great project. Aiden Hutchinson seems like a great guy. He also ripped my freaking heart out as a Buckeye fan like six months ago. So excuse me for not being thrilled about this series, uh, but it is, you know, a great opportunity to get inside the mind of a number one overall pick. Awfully cool. And I know Austin Gale, you know, really poured his heart and soul into that project. Shout out to Dave Safaro for making it happen in the first place. So keep an eye out for Hutch on April 13th. Uh, you know, my Columbus listeners out there, probably there with me, but, you know, every other city and state in the world slash country. Uh, should be tuning in. Also, quick shout out to our friends over at Manscaped. Only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Mr. Irrelevant to a first round pick with Manscaped. Cody, you've broken down these teams. Let's make some picks for week one. Why the hell not? New Jersey General 
New Jersey Generals at the Birmingham Stallions, April 16th. That's Saturday, 7.30 p.m. This one's going to be on Fox, NBC, and Peacock. I've seen the spreads adjusted now to Birmingham being favored by three and a half points. The over-unders at 49 and a half. I am taking New Jersey plus three and a half. It is concerning betting on a team that, you know, has already lost their starting quarterback. But once again, I am just really down on Alex McGough, Alec McGough compared to, uh, you know, just general consensus. So I'm going with the Generals, a plus three and a half. And again, we're taking the under everywhere. Who you got here? Yeah, my pick, absolutely the under. I don't know how either of these teams, either of these quarterbacks put up more than 50 points combined. Um, I don't know if I can lay the three and a half with the Birmingham Stallions as much as I'm excited, more excited about them than I am dealing with my Mike Riley-led uh, generals. So <laughs> I will side with you, plus three and a half on the generals, where I think these teams are fairly evenly matched. Uh, yeah, give me, the, give me the plus three and a half on the generals. Two and a half, one and a half, I'd be okay just taking if, – if you thought Birmingham was better, go ahead. Three and a half, miss me with that. Three games on Sunday, Houston Gamblers at the Michigan Panthers, April 17th. Again, this one's at noon on NBC and Peacock. Cool note I found, uh, if you do happen to live in Birmingham, I think one ticket actually gets you in for the entire day. Uh, so you have to check out all the games. Uh, might have to you know, get a plane ticket down there at some point. What the hell? Why not? Michigan three and a half point favorites. The over-under is at 47 and a half. I don't like the gamblers. We've been over that. I had them ranked below the Panthers. With that said, Jeff Fisher, favored by three and a half. Missed me with that. I got the gamblers plus three and a half. I'm tailing you on this one, man. I'm riding this Jeff Fisher fade as far as I can. Again, give me the (laughs) under 47 and a half. I don't know how these run heavy offenses get over 47 and a half, but give me the Panther or give me the gamblers plus three and a half. I, I hate these week one matchups. I wish we just had more obvious, like <laughs> run first, bad offenses with our good quarterbacks because we got the Philadelphia Stars at the New Orleans Breakers, 4 p.m. on Sunday. You can catch that one on USA. Uh, Philadelphia, as we talked about, with all that continuity from the Spring League, is favored by two and a half over under sitting at 46 and a half. I am going to take the Breakers plus two and a half. You know, I do believe in Kyle Sloter. I have them ranked one spot ahead. This one's tough, though. And if there was one spread to maybe stay away from, you know, you could argue all of them. What the hell are you guys betting on, uh, you know, USFO football for in the first place? But, you know, objectively, I do think this is the one I'm most unsure about. So if there was a chance to maybe grab the money line, uh, wouldn't it be a bad move? I am going to take the Breakers plus two and a half, though. I'm going to side with the familiarity in the Philadelphia Stars. I will lay the minus two and a half points here with them. Give me Andrews. Give me Brian Scott. Give me all the offensive linemen, all the wide receivers that they're bringing over. I think they have a big, big advantage in week one. We'll see how that plays out through the rest of the season. But in week one, I think they have an advantage over the Breakers. You know what? I'm, I'm changing my pick. I'm going with the Stars minus two and a half because what you said, Cody, it just sounded better. I was like second guessing <laughs> myself my entire explanation. So, you know, I changed that for the article. I, I, I love putting my, uh, you know, stuff on Twitter or um, talking through in a podcast before public, public an article. Forget all you people out to maybe, you know, check me on my bullshit sometimes. Final <laughs> game here, Tampa Bay Bandits at the Pittsburgh Maulers. Sunday night, 8 p.m. on FS1. Tampa Bay favored by two and a half. The over-under is at 48 and a half. This is the one matchup where I think we do have a pass-heavy good offense going up against a team we're expecting to just run the piss out of the ball. Cody, are we both on Bandits minus two and a half? Yeah, if we're wrong, we're going to be really wrong here, man, because we <laughs> think that this Mahler's team is just going to continue to pound the rock as Todd Haley, Jordan Tamu, and this Bandits offense, this high-powered Bandits offense, continues to throw it on, throw it down their throats. Uh, man, I think they win by double digits fairly easily. I think this is a pretty pretty bad line. Uh, I hope we're right. We have no information to base this, off of, base this off of other than what these teams and what these coaches have done at various other levels of football, but I think the Bandits are the number one team in the league.
Cody, we have been talking about USFL now for 84 minutes. I think that's 84 minutes than uh, most people in their lives have spent on this great league. But I feel, you know, really great going into week one. I'm sure you do as well, man. And we will be so much more smarter about this league this time next week. Uh, I'm praying if, if you're listening out there, whatever kind soul was breaking up the XFL games, removing the commercials and posting those 30, 40 minute videos on YouTube, please do that again. Because uh, otherwise, please. fast forwarding through all that shit <laughs> is going to get annoying. But Cody, fantastic stuff man our first time podcasting together truly a pleasure i know all the listeners appreciate you as well let the folks know where we can find you on social media and all the great stuff that established the run has to offer you know you guys i know you're kind of leading up your niche niche i never quite know what the pro proper pronunciation is for there but everything you do with the collectibles and the showdown slates man truly one of the biggest grinders in the industry and all of us fellow djs appreciate you brother yeah, this was a huge help for my process going over this podcast with you and getting some takes from you as well uh, at CMain7 on Twitter. But don't worry about the Twitter stuff. You guys need to get this USFL information directly from EstablishTheRun.com. If you made it this far into the podcast, almost an hour and a half and are still here, you are going to be <laughs> grinding week one DFS. You're going to be placing bets. You're going to be placing prop bets if you can. So for week one and every week of the USFL season, we will have projections for every player in every game, ownership projections for both main and showdown slate, tiered top plays, for each main slate and a weekly live show with me, Levitan, and a couple of rotating guests from the ETR crew. Obviously, you'll also have access to me in the private subscriber-only Discord as well. So if you guys have questions, player takes that you want to fire off or anything that you want to get uh, my eyeballs on, I will be there helping out as well. So I am so, so, so excited about this product launching and so excited about week one kicking off this week. Is it a singular USL USFL product or is it kind of like uh, you just buy into established run, you get everything? It is a single USFL product. The league will go for 10 regular uh, regular season weeks. And then, as you mentioned, we'll have the championship weeks. It is $119.99 and that'll cover you for the entire the length of the season. So roughly three months of content for $119.99. Hopefully, best in the industry. We will be grinding and we're, we're very excited about this. We think we're going to get some pretty, pretty good sized prize pools over on DraftKings and hopefully a full menu of other options as well fully in on those DFS streets. Make sure you check out Cody's awesome team previews. Those ones are actually free, but come on, people. Like Cody was saying, if you've listened to us for this long, clearly you're a fellow DJ and get in those streets. Go get yourself a subscription over at establishrun.com. Always improving. You guys just got a golf product. I mean, Adam Levitan, my first true boss in the industry. So love that man. Evan Silva, I maintain still the goat, everything he does. So go to the USFL. And I mean, this is why I love USFL uh, so much, man. These spring leagues, like if you are a content provider out there, like why wouldn't you take the mm -hmm. opportunity to go into this league where we don't have you know guys that might be good at their job but let's face it you know in any business across the world i'm sure you guys see in whatever job you have like there's a boss there's a worker it's just been there for 15 years and they put their time in and they, they still you know just have a really big pull not necessarily based on how good they are anymore but based on who they are and how long they've been doing it it's a brand new league the best should be rising to the top so man like um i got to talk to uh, some college of hilariously had me in the talk, like their analytics group or whatever. And my big takeaway for them was just like, like if you want to separate yourself, man, why not go into this brand new league where none of that, you know, hierarchy exists? Like what? Is, are you going to come out with the 700,000th mock draft in the last week and just have right. people find you that way? Like, there's time for that. I'm not saying you need to ignore these uh, draft prospects, but it's four games. And I think a great opportunity to watch real freaking football. 
and have a good time. So hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. Again, we will be back with more USFL content throughout the season. Uh, even Dwayne McFarlane, I have ripped his arm enough that he's going to be giving us uh, the utilization report and some other goodness throughout the year. So stay tuned for that. For Cody, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>